Welcome back. This is Amy Pond, and this is Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that our women are making. Uh, today, we have Carrie Sullivan. Carrie Sullivan is an award-winning transformation and merger and acquisition professional who has a passion for driving results by making the hard jobs look easy. Her career has spanned top consulting firms, Fortune 500 companies, and she's one of the first 35 employees at cars.com. Her team is now advisors and consultants to some of the world's largest companies on how to use AI and psychology to reduce time to momentum in complex transformation. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. And I'm sorry I made that bio kind of a mouthful. (laughs) I love it. It's a good practice for me to practice my enunciation and articulation. (laughs) So that's all good. Thank you so much for joining us. Carrie and I have met in this new beautiful chapter this year. And as um, I'm happy to say we're each other's champions. So it's a lot of fun. So Carrie, what moves are you excited to be making? My favorite thing, and as far as our direction right now, is democratizing successful transformation. What does that mean? It means that 70% of big transformation and merger and acquisition efforts fail or they're watered down, right? The gap is nearly always managing people risk, almost always. And it's because 60% of people don't like change. But for some reason, we keep thinking that communication and training will change people's behavior. The playbook and, and kind of checklist approaches like a pro and similar, they're really, really good for discrete efforts like system implementations and, and new process and, and stuff like that. But, you know, giving credit where it's due, McKinsey found that when we, when we really need to shift behavior and culture, you have to anchor it in psychology. And they do this really, really well with their Fortune 100 clients and in their organizational health index. Um, it's about a hundred question survey. The challenge is that very, very few companies can afford the McKinsey price tag. The mm. surveys take forever and they're awfully invasive, especially when we've got you know, employee pulse surveys and you know, agile health check surveys and blah, 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 right? So um, I try to take as much overhead and blah, blah out of consulting as possible. And I use tools like AI to read psychology and democratize the really, really difficult parts of transformation so that it can be affordable and much, much faster for clients. Okay. So when you talk about people risk, that is, does that mean people leaving due to the change or transformation or what is that? What do you mean by that? It's more about inertia and momentum. Mm. So when we think of especially big companies, mature companies, um, companies where the founders grew and scaled the company a long time ago, and now they're kind of at steady state and they're operating, think about the people who really like to come and hang out and do the same job for 10, 15, 20 years, right? They, They like that predictability in their lives. They like that predictability in their day. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's, there, there is a seat for everybody. The challenge when we get to transformation is that those same mindsets and mature companies that like to do that same routine, kind of a, a work environment every day, they don't like change. So you've got a conundrum. When you're trying to make that big leap 
from the top of your maturity or S curve into your next S curve so that you can keep growing and changing and evolving, or you head towards decline, the big difference maker is people. And and whether you're able to make that change as comfortable as possible for the people that are sitting there in those seats, doing those jobs and making your customers happy and filling that gap between those, those transformational leaders that can, can truly think about it and solve those problems. They like transformation and change. They run after those kinds of, of, of problems to solve, but then there's a gap between them and the people that they need to execute. So we, we fill that gap. And it, that really resonates with me. One of the favorite, my favorite moments with you, I think the very first time we met, I had kind of explained a little bit about my story to you and you did something amazing on your end. I heard typing and you immediately told me, was able to tell me like you were in my head. You told me specifically why I was no longer feeling comfortable in the environment that I was in, which was exquisite to me. And I don't mean to simplify what you do so much, but that was like mind blowing. It's, I can't tell you, I I think we even talked about it that first time. I can't tell you how many people I'm talking with and I've got them on the other side of the screen. Sometimes it's, it's often even the first meeting and I'm listening to them and I'm listening to what they're saying and I'm, I'm reading the way that they, they write. Um, And I can see very clearly why they probably shouldn't be working for either their boss or the company that they're working for because they need to solve different problems. And it's not something that is static your mindset today is different than it was five years ago. So it's not like there's something wrong with the company or your boss necessarily, or there's, and there's not something wrong with you. The, the challenge is that we're all constantly changing and evolving. And, and how do you manage the kind of people Tetris that, that comes along with that change? People Tetris. We just found the title of this episode. That's that's going to be. I think I'm 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 going to take a page from your book and start creating some T-shirts of carryisms. Yeah. And people people Tetris is one of them. The other one that's come up lately is that uh, empathy is expensive. It's great, but em- empathy is very expensive. We'll wow. talk about that one. That wow. one take that talk about that one on different on a different podcast. Wow. People Tetris. Today's episode. Woo. Love that. Um, Awesome. So you were talking earlier about how people risk is the inertia and energy. I want to go to one of your latest posts posts that I probably spent about 25 minutes like reading and rereading and like registering and downloading. So I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. Bear with me. Transformation tips. Managing energy and momentum is simple, but not easy. One of the ways I drink my own champagne is proactively managing my own energy. Exercise, nutrition, and meditation are common. The people you surround yourself with can be just as if not more energizing. Here's what I mean. Thursday evening each week, my energy starts to nosedive. I need something to bolster my energy during the week, so I'm not tempted to spend the weekend cocooned in a blanket fort on the couch reading books to recharge. I also know what personality types energize me when I, me when we connect. As an ambivert, that floats between introvert and extrovert. Large volumes of people, e.g. big events and conferences, can be draining. For me, at least, people with with results and systems mindsets create a buzz of energy and spark of inspiration. I'm very mindful to pepper my week, especially Fridays, with meetings that include results mindset people. They inspire me with elegant ways that they solve problems and manage people. Given the results supply and demand problem, I try to commit time each week to build community, understand their goals, help them find their next best connection, chewy problem to solve, partner, 
get them on a stage, et cetera. And then you go on to list uh, many peers, I would imagine, help you do this on Fridays. So that helped bolster your, your energy. So tell me more about that and what inspired it and how you translate that into your, uh, you know, the way that you personally preserve and understand your energy. How do you then translate that into your clients? So one of the things that we do is think about the energy that we manage and and I, and I really try to take that to heart. So a lot of what I talk about with clients is energy management and, and how you want the organization to feel as you're going through hard things. Because one of the hardest things that we can do as we're going through transformation or, or very long-term kinds of change is, is managing the marathon. Transformations take years. It's, it's not like they're quick. You don't just transform in six months and you're done. And, and today there's just really no end state. So it's, it's really just a constant move and movement towards that future state. So if your team isn't in a fully 100% results driven, you know, mindsets and, and, or systems driven mindsets, and really they can't be because only 10% of people are, you have to do something to manage the energy for them and with them so that they can sustain that energy over time and it reduces the burnout. It reduces the toxicity. It reduce, it smooths out the rough edges for people and it helps them start to really think about the things that complicate their business and, and drain the energy from them. So one of the, one of my favorite stats is from um, Cy Wakeman. She's great. And she's a great follow on LinkedIn. She is a researcher of drama. And one of the things that she found is that two and a half hours per day for the average employee is what's spent on drama. And, and that is the energy draining things that happen politically, um, whatever workloady kinds of things in a, in a business that are usually generated because of a lack of trust. Um, there, there's finger pointing, there's uh, draw, uh, you know, kind of the poor me, uh, martyrdom kinds of things. It's, it's all of those kinds of activities, the venting, um, the average employee spends two and a half hours a day on those activities. And when you think about the last time you had to vent, sometimes there's, you know, it's a quick vent and you're done and, and you can, you can move on. Sometimes if you're kind of stuck in that headspace, it's really, really draining for people. Their focus is on that negative. Their focus is on the why we can't. So as leaders, when we think about managing transformation and managing momentum and managing the marathon, our job isn't managing people. Our job is managing energy and how we can go from why we can't to how we can. Something you said really stuck with me. You said that only 10% of people and our systems, uh, the word, the word that you used escapes me. Results and systems. Results and it's about, it's about 1% that is the systems mindset. That's a little bit more like a Steve jobs and about 8% that's more like a Jeff Bezos or a a Jamie diamond. That's high results. So that's the reason why that, well, not only reason, but that's one of the reasons why transformation and change is so hard because forgive me for being simple, but 10% can just flip a switch where the rest of the 90 are like, ah, 
How do we ten percent? That's the difference, though. The ten percent isn't flipping a switch. Oh, the ten ten percent lives there. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay. There are other other people can flip the switch now and again, mm-hmm. but because it's not their center of gravity psychologically, it takes energy from them. It requ- It takes something. It requires something, and you have to rest afterwards, right? You have to you have to manage that en- energy. So if you're very, very results or outcomes driven, there's only so much time um, that the typical person can spend in that kind of a a mindset or energy uh, on a regular basis. About 8% of people can do that all the time. So that is just who Jeff Bezos is. That's who William Rhodes, who's the CEO of um, AutoZone, that's who he is, right? He can, that gives him energy. It's about energy, give and take. Okay. Uh, another quote I thought about you the other day when I read, it was, um, change is hard, the middle is messy, the end is gorgeous. I paused at that because is there an end? Like, does transformation have an end? Like, that was no. odd. What is the end? A, <laughs> the the end is when you start to get to that point, because it, it, it really doesn't change. That's That is very true or I'm sorry, it doesn't end. That, that is very true. The, the gorgeous part is when you start to get people and culture rowing in that same direction and so that they're feeling that sense of momentum and they're feeling that sense of energy from the organization instead of it taking something from them, which is the toxicity and the kind of angst, the general angst that you feel now, uh, especially post-pandemic. We can, when you can get an organization to feel that sense of momentum, it's beautiful. It, it feels good. It feels like you're on a roll. It's almost like working in a startup. It's that kind of same energy where you have to wear a lot of hats. Everybody's empowered and you're running at a common goal. And as you do that, you're just constantly creating this self, almost self-generating bit of momentum for everybody. Wow. Okay. So in your line of work, you gave a really amazing description at the top about the moves that you're making and the exciting work that you're doing and the value. What would you say uh, both to the supporters of the work that you do, but also perhaps the adversaries or the the naysayers of the work that you do? How would you help them both kind of um, the supporters to keep championing you? And then the the naysayers, how would you help them uh, kind of move through maybe what they're feeling about the work? So when, when I talk about using AI to read language, from example, LinkedIn profiles, mm-hmm. um, so that we can understand the psychology and the culture of an organization very, very quickly and kind of reduce that cycle time. So you're not spending months and months on surveys and months and months on interviews. I get lots and lots of dubious folks. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't blame them. It, it, I, get, I get it. The thing that I would say to them is that it's, it's real, it's true, and, and psychology has a very, very tight relationship with language, um, and it, we can do a very good job of creating what's essentially radar for companies um, and people so that we're, we're doing that human Tetris a little bit faster and making that comfort level for people Uh, in that next role or, you know, from a company perspective with their employees and employee retention and things like that, it creates a virtuous cycle. Um, And if wherever we're able to use tools to create those virtuous cycles faster and more affordably for organizations, 
we're, we're, we're going to do better. We're going to be better. And people are going to feel better about work. It's not going to be, it's not going to feel like a task. It's not going to feel onerous and it shouldn't be acrimonious, especially when we start to think about, you know, what butts go in what seats during a transformation. It's, it's not like a company decides to change their strategy and all of a sudden their, their employees become bad employees. It just may mean that those employees don't necessarily fit in the organization anymore, or the organization doesn't fit them conversely. I love so much so, what you're saying because you're suggesting we put the humanity back into the workplace. Like, like, and, and you're saying a lot more, but like that, that's what I really feel. And I'm about to get real passionate. Um, so <laughs> these days, these days of, of, um, of putting someone on a performance plan because they're, because it might be like a psychological transformational blocker, like you're not really talking to the human part of it. It's like, let's put you on an action plan for performance. Um, but it's really not that problem. And further, it feels like all of the work that you're describing, there's no one really tackling that in the larger organizations. And I won't speak for all of them, but like on average, the ones that I've been part of, it's more about, it falls to like DEI or ERGs or like, you know, to be like, oh, just go handle this. And it's, and it's like, um, the folks that are really on the front lines, the, the quote unquote leaders, of those people that are kind of maybe struggling through a transformation, they kind of get to pass the buck. And maybe is that a naked stance that I'm looking at it? That's that there, that is a whole lot of it. And oh. even, you know, last weekend I was counseling a friend who for years was, he spent five, six years with the same company, big, big company. Mm-hmm. And he got exceeds expectations or meets expectations on his performance reviews every single year. And the company's not transforming. They, they're they just on a down cycle for a couple of quarters from a revenue perspective. Instead of laying people off and doing the right thing, which is probably what they should do, um, once he trained his replacement, who is in a different country and much cheaper, he magically ended up on a performance improvement plan. And it's partially because he is a minority and he's LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's allegedly, I shouldn't, I shouldn't accuse. Um, but it's odd that someone would magically become a bad employee um, suddenly while the company's not doing very well. Uh, so right. PIPs aren't always about improving performance of, of employees. In fact, they're often not. Um, and if it means that we need to find different seats for people, that should be okay. There's no reason we can't spend that money that we were planning to cover our butts with uh, from a risk perspective um, with, a, with an alumni program. Oh. Is, there, is there a uh, partner company, a client company, a supply chain company that's within our ecosystem that, where that employee might fit a little bit better? Human Tetris. That's what I mean. That's Let's cool. think a little bit differently about the ecosystem that employees and companies play in, because it's not about just pure competition. If you make your employees less fearful, yes. they're going to trust you. And if they can trust you, they'll be honest with you. And if they can be honest with you, they'll collaborate. They'll break down those silos. They'll smooth out those highly complex processes because they don't need to compete internally. They don't need to do all of the kind of BS politics and politicking that they need to, in in order to control things. 
I have to tell you, I've seen this in real time. And thank you so much for giving that example. I, I have helped countless of my direct reports in the past, either find another role in the company, or I've been the first reference if they wanted to transition out, because we've had that honest conversation about, listen, something's not gelling here. Like help me understand what's going on. And it's been such an amazingly honest conversation about, yeah, I don't, I don't feel this anymore. And I, and we, and they have been on, they've gone on to be so successful. And in a lot of times gotten promoted in their next role because I helped them move on. And it wasn't about, um, in my opinion, putting someone on a performance plan because they, because something like this is happening is more about the quote unquote leader's ego than the fact like they're not really, really wanting to take the time and effort to help that human through the change or experience that they're incur- encountering. They're just wanting to make the quote unquote problem go away, which is they're not a problem. <laughs> it's like, if you actually had a real human conversation with them, it could be amazing on all, on all counts. So I'm interested, like hopefully through this conversation, you're dubious, you said dubious, um, folks that come back to you, are they saying like, nah, that won't work? Is that the response you get? It's, um, is it really accurate? So that's the first question I get. Okay. Can you really do that? Yeah. And I explain that, yes, you can. And we, we, um, test it in analog, uh, mm-hmm. with a very, very highly trained, um, and high expertise, um, trait-based psychologist. So she will interview and we compare with scores and, you know, it's, it makes sure that, that it's, it's accurate on a regular basis. The other thing that I get is, well, what if somebody doesn't write their profile? Um, if they don't write their profile, that's very, and it's very common. The only um, subgroup that I see that truly doesn't write their own profile is, is usually those very, very high-end C-suite folks in Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies. And they've got the PR team managing that profile for them. So it doesn't quite sound like them, but what we, so what we do in those cases is um, we'll use interviews like this or podcasts or or things like that, because spoken word is, is just as, just as good, if not better. And for everyone else, even if someone else writes your profile, you're still reviewing it and editing it so that you think and feel like it sounds like you. Once you do that, once you take that step, you're, you're using those same combinations of words. It's less about the topics that you talk about or write about and more about the density of words and verbs and punctuation and things like that that you use in everyday speech that means that you speak a speci- kind of a specific psychological language that pairs you or is attractive to other people. So two, two little examples. Number one, when you talk, talked about that manager-employee relationship and having those transparent conversations, it's, it's not as much about the idea that the manager doesn't want to help the employee. It's usually that our talent pipelines are a little bit of a mess psychologically, and we have the wrong people reporting to the or wrong mindsets reporting to the wrong mindsets. And if we realign those mindsets so that we've got, a, you know, more adjacency or some, you know, closer people that are a little bit closer, um, they, they work much better together. There's a lot more energy creation. There's a lot more productivity creation and you, you end up with a lot less of that kind of drama score that you end up with. And oh, by the way, it fixes DE and I too. So you end up with more of those results driven thinkers 
not buried inside the company because they make somebody look good, um, but in positions where they can solve chewy problems that they really want to solve. Um, and those people that are a little bit more on that methodical side, they need that rule book, playbook, checklist. Um, they're, they're kind of clustered together so that they're feeding off of one another around those processes and, and consistency that they really, really need. Um, the other example that I'd give is on the language side, think about the letter or the word I, how you refer to yourself as I, right? When you think about the word I, actually, you don't usually think about the, the word I until you're writing a paragraph and you use the word I to refer to yourself like four or five times. And all of a sudden it feels really icky once you read back, read through it, right? If you, it just reads weird. It's, it doesn't, you're, you're like, Ugh, that yuck, right? Once you get to that yuck point, it's not because you are self-centered or whatever it is that you're feeling that about that or interpreting that yuck to be, it's that you're normal. And you're feeling actually pretty good and pretty good about yourself because higher instances of the word I in a paragraph, as you refer to yourself, are actually associated with depression, clinical or otherwise. Even more instances than that are even much more serious um, psychological or mental conditions that that might need some treatment and, and, and other attention. So it's a very simple example of how language relates to psychology and personality traits um, that, that most people should be able to understand and connect with. So it's, it's, it's I get it, it's corollary, but I can show you how that plays out in a essentially heat map for an individual and for an entire company. Literally every time I scale my business, I'm hiring you to help with the transformation, like 1000%. So let, we've, we've talked about the naysayers. We don't need enough more of the haters. Talk about some of the people that have championed you and some of the things that have really been like ahas and like fireworks, like um, changes that have been made. And, and uh, you work with smaller companies and, and huge, massive companies. Like what have, what have you been seeing? Um, a couple of things. So those huge, massive companies, again, when you find those high results drivers, you know, systems thinkers, and you can see them um, when they when they cluster in some of those leadership teams um, and you can kind of feel that energy from them. And those people have a tendency when they solve problems. It's a little bit more about risk taking, failing fast and, and being OK with a little bit of a little bit more trial and error versus um, maybe an expert who's going to run down rabbit holes and, and chase shiny objects to learn everything they possibly can about a topic and then start solving a problem. Or more disciplined or methodical person who needs that checklist, who needs that, that playbook or a bit of control in order to solve their problems, right? Um, so when I find those test and learn kinds of folks, whether it's in a mid-market company, in a private equity firm, in a um, in a very big company, we start to talk about these kinds of topics and we ask questions of each other that start with, I wonder. And as we wonder, then we start to come up with, with solutions to problems or applications of data and techniques that work in, in safe ways because we're dealing with people, right? We don't, we don't want to mess anybody up. That's not at our intent. Ethics is, is number one. Um, 
but it's, it's about be, being willing to help people along a little bit faster and make sure that they're comfortable going through really difficult things in ways that where we're meeting them where they are and using data to do so. So I, I thank those people who are willing to go on some of that journey with me and, and answer the, and ask the, I wonder questions. Oh, beautiful. Okay, Carrie, this has been exquisite. Our conversations are so beautiful. Always. I invite all of those people who are willing to wonder, reach out to Carrie, Carrie, where can we find you? I am always on LinkedIn uh, <laughs> and it's in Carrie Sullivan, K-A-R-R-I-E. Um, uh, Twitter, Carrie Sullivan, um, and culminatestrategy.com. Perfect. So please reach out to Carrie, no matter what is, if you're in a small company, big company, any types of company, but you're willing to have the conversation of, I wonder, please reach out to Carrie. Humanity depends on you. And you're the ones that are going to be the change makers along with Carrie in this space. Carrie, any closing remarks or advice that you'd give? Oh goodness. Um, let's go and disrupt consulting. I, I, I'm no, no more misaligned incentives and just throwing bodies at things. Let's, let's drive value. All right. Let's do it. 